First Peter chapter three. This is a uh, difficult text, and we're, we're going to focus on is um, not as controversial, but there uh, in this text there are very difficult uh, words and phrases um, to the point that Martin Luther, in commenting on this text of scripture, said, "Every I'm going to paraphrase him." Every word is under debate to the point that I don't know what St. Peter means. So that gave me a lot of hope as I was looking at this text. Um, but I do think that as we go through this, we can, we can see contextually uh, what, what Peter's getting at here. Um, so let me read the text. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous that he might bring us to God. Being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison because they formerly did not obey when God's patience waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through water. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you. Not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers, having been subjected to him. As you can see in this text here, there's a few things that automatically call our attention. And one of those is this idea of what does it mean when Jesus went and proclaimed to these spirits in prison. What is that? When did that take place? What's going on here? Now, this is not going to be the main focus of our message this morning. Actually, verse 21 is going to be, uh, verse 20 and 21 is going to be the focus. Uh, But because I didn't want it to be a distraction, while I'm in verse 21, you're saying, what about 19? What's going on there? Okay, let me just give you just a kind of a summary here. There's, There's really five different thoughts on interpreting this text. I'm not going to give you all of them, and if you want to dive into this deeper, I would be more than happy to get together with you and outline all the different uh, 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 opinions on this, and we could talk through it. But I'm just going to kind of give you what I believe this text says, knowing that there are, there's room for interpretation here. What most people believe, uh, with the exception of Wayne Gruden, Wayne Gruden does not hold to this. Uh, so if you have Gruden's systematic theology, he would differ with me on this. But uh, other people, they would hold to this interpretation that I'm going to give you here. When it says that he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison because they formerly did not obey, what he's talking about there is he's tying it back to these people or these beings that in Noah's day, they were, uh, gr- they were extraordinarily wicked. See, what, what Peter's doing here is you've got to remember the background of the book is that Peter is talking to people that are going through suffering. They're going through trials. They're going through temptations. And so what he's trying to do here in this text is he's actually trying to give them encouragement through their trials. And so he's, he's identifying that people were going through trials. And so he goes back and talks about Christ's trial as a source of encouragement to them. He's reminding them of what Christ has done. And so what he does, though, is he goes back to Noah's day and he talks about this, this concept of that, what, that God did something uh, uh, catastrophic uh, in that day. 
There was a time when Noah, in Genesis chapter 6, you'd read about this, where it says the sons of God came to dwell and intermingled with the daughters of man. And God saw that the whole world was wicked, and so he determined to destroy the earth. And so he did this through a flood, through a worldwide flood. But eight people were saved, Noah and his family. And so this is the picture that he is going to introduce to teach about baptism here, of Noah's family being saved here. But he gives some of the background information, which is kind of confusing to us. So my interpretation of this text is that he's referring to that group of people back in Genesis chapter 6 who most people, or a lot of people believe, a very, a very common interpretation is that they were demonic spirits. That's the reason why he uses the word spirits there. That they, they attempted to intermingle with the race of man in order to, to corrupt the race, in order to destroy the race. Because this, remember, from the beginning, it was God's plan to redeem uh, man. In Genesis chapter 3, and verse 15, we have what theologians call the Proto-Evangelium, which means first mention of the gospel. And that's what he, where he says that God, uh, God promises at one time that Satan will be defeated and that he will redeem man. But what happened here in Genesis chapter 6 is there was a plan on the part, a demonic plan to wipe out the, 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 uh, the human race. And so God sent the, the earth, the, the, the judgment, through the, the floodwaters. He sent judgment to the earth through the floodwaters. And there was a time where, according to Peter here, and this is the interpretation, and I understand it, 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 there's people that differ with me, and that's okay, that Jesus sometime, either right after the resurrection... Or right before his ascension, he went down to the, the place where these, these evil spirits were in, in the pit or in, uh, in, uh, in uh, the place of punishment. And what he did there is, it says he proclaimed. Now what he was doing there is he was saying, I have conquered your plan ultimately. He was, it was a cry of victory. He goes down and he says, my plan is victorious. I have died. I have been resurrected. And now there is hope for mankind. And so that's what I think Peter is referring to here in this text. Now again, there's different interpretations. Some people think that what Noah was do, that when it says that Christ preached, that he was preaching through the words of Noah. They think that the Spirit of God, the Spirit of Christ, before the Incarnation, was using Noah to preach to the sinners of Noah's day. That is a legitimate transla- uh, interpretation. That is what Wayne Gruden would hold to. I, I think contextually it makes more sense in the context here to hold to what I would say. But again, it's up for interpretation. I just wanted to get that out of the way so you kind of have at least understanding of, of what that's talking about. So in verse 21... We see baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you. Baptism here is a picture. Now, I was thinking about this. You know, there's different games that you can have on your phone now. I remember when the days when you had a cell phone and the only game you could have on it was like Centipede or something like that. Um, But now you have, I mean, it's unlimited what type of games you can have on your phone. And there's a game that I downloaded, oh, I don't know how long ago. And Anouk and I played it for a little while. It was called 
uh, logo quiz or something like that, okay? Uh, some of you are nodding your head. Okay, you downloaded it too. Good job, okay? <laughs> so it, basically the idea of the game is it shows you a logo and you have to correctly guess which company that this logo is representing. And so if we were, go- if we were going to be in the other uh, room this morning, I would have put up different logos just so you could play the game for a second with me. If you put up, you know, you don't even have to have the word Nike. If you just put the little swoosh up there, everyone knows you're talking about Nike, okay? That's the power of a logo. Logo, it, it summarizes what the corporation is about. One of the first things that I did when I came here is I recognized that we had about two or, or three different logos in use here on different periodicals and things. And so I, I, I actually asked if we could change the logo to, to make it uniform. And, and so we did. And there's actually a lot of symbolism in that logo. Now, I understand that everyone gets the symbolism, but when we talk through it, there's this idea of their contemporary and traditional meeting together. There's four different colors in the logo around the cross, and those represent the four core elements of a local church found in Acts 2.42. And so there's symbolism there. So every time I look at our church logo, I'm reminded of these things. Baptism is someone, something like a logo. It kind of symbolizes things. And so in this morning, there's only two points in the message this morning. Point number one, if you're taking notes, is this. What baptism shows. What baptism shows. Point number two is going to be what baptism says. Okay? That's the only two points this morning. And then we'll go in and see baptism in action this morning. First of all, what baptism shows. Baptism is a public picture of salvation. Baptism is a public picture of salvation. It's interesting that he talks about Noah here and how he he was saved through, he was brought safely through the water at the end of verse 20. And baptism corresponds to this and it now saves you. And some people have taken this text and they've pointed to this text and said that, and they have insisted that in order for a person to have eternal life, they must be baptized. Because it says, baptism now saves you. But the context of it shows that what Peter is saying there is he's not saying that if someone is put in water, they are automatically saved. Because he says, not as a removal of dirt from the body. He says, not as, 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 as a removal of sinfulness, it's just a picture of what has already happened. And baptism is that logo, if you will, or it shows this picture of salvation. And so, here's what I want you to understand about this idea here. In this text, water represents God's judgment, does it not? Think about in the days of Noah. In the days of Noah, what was he was told? He was told that over the course of many years, he was supposed to build this great big ark, this big ship. And he was to build that and to proclaim to the people that God's judgment was coming. And one day, God's judgment came, and God closed the door. He sealed the door of the ark. And then what happened? In, in, in God's judgment, how he brought it down on the earth, it was through water. And water came down, and it flooded the entire earth. And so, when you see water in just a few minutes, when, when we stand in that baptismal tank, and, and then there's water there, that is symbolic that before Christ, we stand in God's judgment. That we are, we are immersed in God's judgment. We are bought, when we are born, the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 1, that we are born dead in our trespasses and sins. The Bible says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And so our natural state, our natural state before Christ is that we are deserving of the wrath of God. 
And so just like in Noah's day here, when he was waiting, you can picture yourself waiting in the ship, and all of a sudden you start hearing one drop and two drops and three drops, and all of a sudden then a torrential downpour just happens, and it continues day after day, night after night, for over a month straight. It just rains and rains and rains, and the whole earth is flooded. You can imagine the idea of God's judgment. I remember after Hurricane Katrina hit, my wife and I had the privilege of going down there for five months, and we were able to serve in the Louisiana area. We were actually in Lafayette, not New Orleans. We did go into New Orleans a little bit, but everyone evacuated out of New Orleans, and a a large percentage of the population went to a city called Lafayette. And so that is where we based our ministry out of for five months. I remember having conversations with people, and people, they immediately went to the idea that Hurricane Katrina was because of the judgment of God. Now, I disagree with that. I don't know that, that I, 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 I think that's a little bit arrogant for us to immediately say, well, that hurricane happened to judging New Orleans because I'm just as deserving as anyone else. But the fact of the matter is, at least it reminded people that God was in control. It reminded people that that there was a being that was greater than them. And so here in Noah's day, when they saw the rains coming down, they understood this was God fulfilling his promise. This was God judging the earth for the sins that were going on in Noah's day. That's very clear from Genesis chapter 6. And so we stand in the waters of judgment. And so when we stand in the baptismal waters, what we are doing is we are symbolizing our natural state, deserving of the wrath of God. So we stand in the waters of judgment, but we survive because of our union with Christ. We survive because of our union with Christ. If you're taking notes, there's two references you might want to write down. That is Romans 6 and Colossians 2. In both these texts, we see how that... uh, our union with Christ, that we are buried with him, that we are dead, considered dead with him when Christ died. See, this is, this is the beauty of the gospel here. The beauty of the gospel is that we needed to die for our sins. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 23 is very clear in that. It says, for the wages or the payment of sin is death. Okay, and so all of us deserve to die. All of us, that was the only thing that was going to happen. In fact, when Adam and Eve sinned way back in the beginning, it was that the curse came. And when the curse came, it brought death. In Romans chapter 5, if you want to write that reference down, Romans chapter 5, right around verse 12, we see this concept or this idea of because of one man's sin entering into the world, death came into the world, Romans chapter 5 says. And so this is the story of humanity that Adam and Eve, they sinned. And so death now comes and death is part of the curse. And so this is what all of us have to look forward to. Now, if I were to say to you, now, I I don't want to, I don't want to alarm you. I I, I don't, I don't want to make you uneasy. I I, I want to be very careful of this, but, but I'm going to be very gentle in how I say this. But one day you're going to die. I know it's hard, you know. I mean, everyone looks at me like, well, I knew that, of course. I mean, everything in this earth, everything that we know has an end date to it. In fact, I think that's one of the reasons why eternity is so almost scary, because everything we know has an end date. Everything we know has an ex- ex- uh, expiration date. You can't even have a gallon of milk before it's like, well, you know, you can't use this anymore. Or my life is over at a certain amount of years. And so we just, we just know that's ingrained in us that there is an end date for everything. 
We instinctively know that when we buy a car, we're not going to drive that car forever. When we get a new uh, computer, we know that we're not going to use that computer forever. When we get a new article of clothing, we know that we're going to outgrow that clothing Unfortunately, probably. <laughs> so, and so we, we're going to need to, 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 you know, to upgrade the amount of fabric. And so, um, you know, all, all of these things, you know, we just know that things are going to change, right? We know that death is part of life. Here, we see that our only hope was for someone else to die. A righteous person had to die. I've said this before, I've said it many times, and you'll hear me say it over and over again. The fact that Jesus died on the cross is foundational to our, our, forg- our ability to have forgiveness. However, the only thing that made that possible was the righteousness of Christ. The fact that he lived a sinless life. Because if he would have sinned one time, his death would have meant nothing to us. But he was a perfect God. He was, he, on this earth, he was perfect. And so it was his life that he, it, it, that he lived perfectly, that when he died, the Bible says through faith, if we call upon the name of the Lord, we'll be saved. The Bible says that if we trust in Christ and we ask God to save us, there's this idea of what, what is called our union with Christ, or we become one with Christ. Romans chapter 6 says, Do you not know that you who were baptized were baptized into death with Christ? And so our only hope is through Christ. Our only hope is Christ. And so when we come to this text of Scripture here, we see that salvation, we see what baptism is symbolizing, we see what it's representing. It's representing our union with Christ. And so when you see uh, Lisa stand in the waters of baptism in just a few minutes, when you see anyone baptized, what she is saying, what, what that person is saying, is they're saying, I am standing in the judgment of God. I deserve the judgment of God, but I am here in, 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 my, in my union with Christ, that is the only way I'm going to survive this. And so there's a picture that's going on in baptism. What you'll see us do is that I will ask her a couple questions and she will answer those questions and then I will say that I baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And I will put her down underneath the water and bring her back up. As Baptists, we believe in immersion because of the symbolism that's going on here. This is the symbolism of our complete burial with Christ, our deadness in judgment that, 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 but the only way that we can be safely brought through that judgment is in Christ. That's what you see in the text here. It says it corresponds to this. We were brought, or, or excuse me, Noah was brought safely through water. The only way that Noah was brought safely through water was because God provided for him the ark and God provided for him the salvation plan. Just like in our spiritual life, the only way that we can be brought safely through the waters of judgment is if we are identified and are unified with Jesus Christ. And so it's all about faith. It's all about identification. And so what is going on here? When, when anyone is baptized, they are crying out and saying a public testimony that I want to be identified with Christ. I am recognizing that my only hope of being brought through out of this water here of judgment is Jesus Christ. So we stand in the waters of judgment. We survive because of our union with Christ. And then we are saved Because of God's righteous judgment. Think about that. We are saved because of 
God's righteous judgment. You see, our salvation isn't because God did not pour his wrath out. Our salvation is not because God decided, you know what, okay, time out, I'm going to not judge. No, God poured his wrath out. I mean, he, he poured it out. I mean, it, but it was on Christ. We just sang a song about that. The wrath of God completely satisfied. Jesus, thank you. You see, this is our salvation. Our salvation is because of the judgment of God. It's because of the judgment of God that was poured out on Christ in our place. And if, and if you're writing notes, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 25 would, or, or 24 would be a good reference to write down. It says, by his stripes we are healed. You see, it's not that we have healing because God decided not to judge. It's not that God said, you know what, no, I'm not going to do this anymore. I'll give you a pass. No, God in his justness had to pour his wrath out, had to judge sin, but Jesus entered into the scene, lived a life of perfect obedience, went on the cross, received the wrath of God in our place, and all we have to do is turn to Christ and say, please save us. I identify with you, and I believe that you and you alone are my hope for salvation. That's what someone's doing in the waters of baptism. They're saying, I identify with Christ, and I understand that Christ is my only hope to bring me safely through the waters of baptism, the waters of judgment. So this is what, this is what baptism shows. Baptism is about identification. It's showing our union with Christ. What does baptism say? Baptism is a public request for salvation. In verse 21, it says, but it's an appeal to God for a good conscience. Now, some translations, and many of you probably have a translation that says, I pledge. And if you translate it, the pledge, um, uh, linguistically, grammatically, both are technically possible. Um, however, when I look again at the context here, I really believe that an appeal makes more sense because it retains the idea of our inability to save ourselves. When we say, I pledge to, and I promise to have a good conscience before you, to me that's putting the emphasis on man. It's putting the emphasis on what I am going to do. And the whole waters of baptism symbolize what God has done for me and my passivity in this and the fact that I am being totally dependent on Christ for this. And so when someone's baptized, what they're doing is they're publicly asking for salvation. You say, but I thought they already were saved. Well, they are. But 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 18 says, to those who are being saved. See, we can legitimately talk about our salvation as that we were saved. And then we can also say that I am being saved. And we can also say that one day I will be saved. Because our salvation that we need transcends our entire life. Now, don't, don't, don't get too caught up on that. I believe that once you, say, you, you ask Christ to save you, that yes, he, he, he saves you and no one can pluck you from the Father's hand. I am not at all indicating that there's at some point where you can lose your salvation. That's not what I'm saying. But what I am saying is that as God does a work of saving grace in your life, he will be continually reforming you and changing you to be more like Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 says, If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. 
And so throughout our entire Christian life, there should be a time where we become more and more like Christ and we become, uh, we become more sensitive to sin and we recognize areas where we're not serving God or not obeying God like we ought to. And so then that is the salvation process. And so what we're doing in the waters of baptism is someone standing there and they're just saying publicly, as a public testimony, they're saying, they're, what they're saying is they're saying, God, I, I want everyone to know that I need you and you alone for salvation. I need you to save me. I, I cannot do anything to save myself. And I, and I reject any notion that I have done something to earn the salvation. And so I place my complete trust in you. And I'm appealing to you. I'm asking you for a good conscience. I'm asking you that my mind would be focused on you. And I'm asking you that I would be centered on you. And I'm asking you that my life would then please you. May I live a life in such a way by your grace that I have a clean conscience before you. This is what I'm doing publicly, Father. I'm asking for a good conscience before everyone else. There's so much going on in baptism. I, I Baptism services are some of my favorite services. Uh, I, I, I honestly believe this. As a pastor, I had the, one of the greatest privileges I have is to baptize people. I, I, I prefer baptism service over weddings. Okay, I would much rather baptize someone than marry them. And don't get me wrong, I enjoy marrying people too, but I, 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 I you know, so, so if you want to get married, I'll marry you. But, um, you know, but, but if you want to get baptized, I'll be more excited. No, I'm just, but, but the idea is that I think that there's so much symbolism going on here. It's not just a simple first step of obedience. It's so much more than that. I mean, this is public testimony. This is public identification. This is, this is asking God publicly, saying, I need you. Give me a good conscience before you. And so we publicly appeal to God. But we publicly appeal to God. The emphasis on God sustaining in the waters of baptism symbolizes our complete dependence on the God who saves us. And then we publicly appeal to God for a good conscience like we talked about. And we can only have a good conscience through what, according to this text? And that is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. If Christ be not risen from the day, we of all men are most miserable. And so it's the fact that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. And so that is one of the reasons why in the picture of baptism, they're buried, they die, they're buried, and then thankfully I bring them up from the water. <laughs> it's not just to preserve their human life, <laughs> but it's a symbol of the resurrection of Christ. Because that is our hope. Our hope is the resurrection of Christ. And so here's that picture, that picture of someone standing in the waters of judgment. Recognizing that they have no hope and they're saying, I'm only standing here. I'm only going to survive this water of judgment through the intervention of God and through my union with Christ. Just like Noah, he would not have survived the waters of judgment unless God intervened and God provided his salvation for him. So I stand in the waters of judgment, symbolizing my understanding that I deserve the wrath of God. And then I symbolize my dependence on Christ and my union with Christ that I am buried with him. I died, I buried, and I am risen again, saying to everyone, I'm pleading to God for a good conscience, and I'm choosing to identify with Jesus, Jesus Christ alone. This is what baptism says. So baptism is also about confession. Not only is it about identification, but it's about confession. We are showing our dependence on Christ. So, 
If you're a follower of Christ, as you view this baptism in a few minutes, thank God today for the symbolic representation of your salvation. You see, this is the thing that's the beauty about a baptism service. As you're watching that going on, that's symbolizing your salvation. So we should respond in worship and thanksgiving. And so if you're a follower of Christ and you have not been baptized, why not? Get baptized. This is an important way for you to confess publicly before God. This is the way that God has set up. And, you know, we live in a a culture that is very visually oriented. We have to have visuals for everything. And and, 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 and I I know I'm a little bit old-fashioned in some ways that I I, kind of resist some of the the icons and the visual elements in worship because I I think it's dangerously close to violating the second commandment. That's a whole other sermon. But nonetheless, I do believe I do believe that God has given us two visuals for sure. Lord's Supper and baptism. Those are the visuals that God has given to us. And so as we see this in a few minutes, if, if, if you're not baptized and you're a believer, you're a confessing believer of Christ, and you have not been baptized, I would just ask, why not? This is something you should do because it's obedience to God. But it's, 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 it's a public confession of your salvation and thanksgiving of what he has done for you. But if you're here today and, and maybe you're not a follower of Christ, I would, I'd invite you to watch what goes on. I'd, write, I'd invite you to kind of think through some of the things that I just said here and see the waters as a symbol of the judgment of God. And I would just ask the question, will you be safely carried through the waters of judgment? And the only way is through identification and submission to Jesus Christ. So this is how we can respond to the baptism service that we are about to to see in just a few minutes here. So I pray that as you look at 1 Peter 3, you see baptism as more than just this is what you're supposed to do after you ask Christ to save you. There is so much more going on here. And here's the good thing. It's all the praise of Jesus. That's the awesome part. Let's pray.